Hello and welcome into this edition of the Golf Channel Podcast with Rex and Lab. We hope you enjoyed golf's two-week offseason because we're ready to get back at it. With what to watch for and the players to watch in 2024. Rex, I, I think of this as the podcast that is sure to age poorly. We are not certified prognosticators, but we are semi-informed speculators. Still, I don't think either of us could have foreseen Brooks Kepka. Uh, coming off the injured list to win a major championship and nearly nab a second one. We couldn't have foreseen 36-year-old Brian Harmon blowing away the field at the Open Championship. And I don't think any of us expected Ludwig Ober to not just make the European Ryder Cup team after graduating from Texas Tech, but also win on the PGA Tour. But we're still going to try anyway in this preview podcast. What's top of mind as you look ahead to 2024? Well, I think after coming off of what 2023 was, you have to take, sort of take a deep breath. And, and you'd like to think that 2024 is going to be more about what happens on the golf course, the competition, the players, all the things we look forward to. My guess is that's not going to be entirely true. But I, I do like the idea that now we're getting to the point where at least we can look at the players. And I, I think looking back to last year, I, I can take one victory lap from this podcast last year. I mean, have you counted up your victories from last year? Uh, nope, because I predicted that Xander Schauffele would be the 2023 PGA Tour Player of the Year, yeah. and he had not a single victory. Uh, so no, I don't. I'm not sure I had any victories in that podcast. I think I I can only do one. Colin Morikawa, I did as the most disappointing player. Actually, I think that the, what we did last year was a player that would drop out of the top 25. Was that was that my comment? I think is is what I said. Yeah, I think I think that was correct. It's a, it's a it's a variation of the who will be most disappointing. Uh, type topic that we tend to do on the sports talk radio podcast. I mean, you were you you were looking good for about nine and a half months until Kyle Morikawa changed swing coaches, uh, went with Mark Blackburn, the hottest coach in all of professional golf, and then won the Zozo Championship. Now he's back uh, safely inside the top fifteen in the world and looking good for a uh, even even yeah, more we'll of a bounce see. back in twenty twenty four. So we'll have to see how well that ages. As well, I, I mean, I think back to that podcast. I said, and, and you push back. There will be less division in the game of golf in 2023. That one also looked pretty good for about five months. The the the, the two sides were kind of just going their separate ways. There was still like the overhanging drama surrounding the official World Golf ranking and whether live players should be uh, exempted of major championships. That was kind of hovering over it. And then June six happened. And the entire thing got blown up. There wasn't just more division among Live and PJ Tour players. There was literally division within the policy board, within the pack, uh, the rank and file, the superstars, uh, PJ Tour leadership. The whole thing uh, spectacularly exploded. And so we are going to start Rex with our storylines to watch. These are big picture storylines. We'll get into the players, uh, which I know you guys are all interested in hearing who our picks uh, for breakout players will be. But let's look at kind of the 30,000-foot view, Rex. Like, what's what's a big storyline that we should watch uh, in the coming year? I mean, whatever's going to happen between the PGA Tour, obviously private equity is involved. Now you have the group that's led by Fenway Sports and Saudi Arabia's private investment, uh, public investment fund. I think those three elements are going to have to find a way to fit together, find a way to all play in the same yard and not, I don't know, make each other angry. And that's going to be the big question because I don't know how they fit together. That's a fine right there. Sorry about that. I don't know how they fit together in, in this scenario, but they have to find a way. Uh, for my big picture storyline, and, and you're right, like that's just, there's still so much uncertainty. What's that going to look like? It probably, I don't think you'll see any real effects until 2025 
at the earliest. I'm going to focus strictly, Rex, on the PGA Tour and most specifically this new look PGA Tour schedule. If you guys are just joining us for the very first time, first of all, welcome. Secondly, 2024, of course, uh, marks the return to the calendar year schedule on the PGA Tour. The wraparound is dead. The points that were accrued in the fall don't necessarily carry over into the new year. There's really this renewed emphasis on the January through August schedule. And they've the PGA Tour has, has put a lot of time, thought. They've done thousands of simulations. And this is what they have come up with and what they're calling their cadence, where you have full field events that lead into signature events. There's something called the top 10 swing, where players who are not otherwise qualified uh, can earn enough points in those full field events to potentially change their career and get into the signature events. And so uh, one of the big storylines is, does this thing work? Can players actually alter their careers? Do the signature events have any juice, even though many of them are going to be cut-free events? Is there enough churn or drop-off in the membership? You're dropping all the the hot phrases. The top 70 and top 50 are are right now. They're they're expecting somewhere, I think, around a 35% churn. That seems high. That seems really high. I think there's a lot of skepticism that that will actually happen. Will you have a, a revolt among the rank and file, which I know is one of the storylines to watch over the past two months of the season with, with these players who are feeling marginalized or squeezed out by the PJ Tours new structure. That all revolves, Rex, around this new look PJ Tour schedule. You probably have to give it three, six months until we have a fair assessment of it. Uh, but I'm very interested to see how it looks how it feels and how we actually like it. I, I think the turn you're, uh, the churn you're referring to, and this just kind of came out in the memo a few weeks ago, is how many players work their way into and out of the top 50. That's the magic number we want to look at for next year. And I think the number that the tour told the players was about 19%. So that's the number to keep an eye on as we go through next year. I think it, it will be interesting to the players, certainly on the outside, that there are opportunities not just to play your way in. There, there will be that cadence that you talked about, there'll be the swings in between each signature event, that players will be able to play their way in, but then you have to be able to sustain that level of performance to stay in there. So I think that'll be one thing to watch. That'll be interesting. And you're right. I think next year's schedule, it's it's completely different. And I did find it interesting talking with players just a few weeks ago at the Hero World Challenge about the idea of this clearly is not going to be the final product. Whatever happens between private equity and the public investment fund, as we looked at the schedule is right now, the signature event schedule is what we can call it. It's going to evolve. Like I think every player, JT talked about it, Tiger talked about it. It's just like the FedEx Cup. I don't think there's been one year since they transitioned to the FedEx Cup that they haven't tinkered with some version of it. More points here, more playoff events, fewer playoff events, whatever the case may be. I think we're going to see the exact same thing with this. I think that there's going to be parts of it that players and officials and tournament sponsors probably like. And then there's going to be parts of it that a lot of people aren't going to like. So I think it's going to be an evolving target. As a matter of fact, given what's happened the last two years in golf, and it's been an unprecedented unprecedented time in golf, I wouldn't be surprised if there were changes mid-stride because that's simply where we're at right now, where if something is so amiss, and you pointed out player discontent, and that's only going to, to get louder. But if you end up with a situation where players – scream loud enough and they've already a couple of them have already lawyered up and started sending letters i can imagine the tour is going to adjust midstream i mean the tour has said that they've done thousands of these simulations and this formula that they have come up with in terms of the allocation of fedex cup uh points for signature events versus full field events like they said that this is the most accurate 
estimate that they can come up with. However, if they are wrong, to your point, like we're talking, we're talking career changing stakes that you know could potentially be changing depending on whether or not this this formula is correct. Changing midstream uh, would certainly be a choice, uh, but I, I think for the PJ Tour's sake, they better hope it is right. There's just so much now riding on being inside the top fifty, so much riding, of course, being in the top seventy, the top one twenty five, etc. Very curious to see how that goes, and when it as it also pertains Rex to the PJ Tour schedule, like there's so much. Uh, nitty gritty that you can get into with this, right? Like seeing who is going to receive the four sponsors exemptions. Is it going to be obviously Tiger uh, would receive one uh, for the Genesis, but you know, there's players who are, who are pretty bold faced names who could potentially be needing a handout here, whether it's Justin Thomas, if he slips outside the top 30 or Will Zalatoris, who's on the injury uh, mend or Adam Scott, uh, who has uh, been so loyal uh, to the PJ tour and kind of a headliner for the past two decades, but would now need a spot. So that is very interesting how players fare in signature events. If you're lower on the, on the leaderboard and still accruing points versus players who are finishing eighth, ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th in a full field event, like you can really dive headlong in this stuff. And I do think it'll be uh, plenty of fodder certainly for podcast material in 2024. Let's transition Rex to the players to watch. And I'm gonna like I'm gonna think of this as tiers. We're gonna do like a top player who's ready to make the leap, which could be major championships, FedEx Cup uh, titles, whatever the case may be. Top 50 and player outside the top 100 who is making a leap in a different way. So let's start with the superstar. Who is a player, in your opinion, who is already well established? Everyone already knows him. We've talked about him plenty on this podcast, but now is ready to take that next step in his career. We didn't have a very good production meeting on this front, so we're going to pick the same player. So before I get to that, I want to thank uh, the folks who are, always have comments on the YouTube page, and thank you so much. Nick Page, quote-unquote, the audio guy, pointed something out about my microphone. I'm not, I wasn't speaking into the cap. Is that what he called it? Capsule. 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 Uh, so I've adjusted. Uh, Nick, let me know if that's the right way to do it. I, I, we're still not sure. We did ask our audio expert, Jared, and he didn't really offer much help on that front. Something tells me he was drinking when he was texting us back. On that front, I went with Victor Hovland, and I think you're going to go with Victor Hovland as well. I think we can all agree he's on the ballot for the PGA Tour Player of the Year. He's on the ballot for the Golf Writers Association Player of the Year. He's not going to win because he didn't win a major. I think that comes next year. I think when you look at the progression of his game, and we I keep going back to that story at this year's Open Championship when when you walked by him and he was hitting those little flippy wedge shots off that just rock-hard turf and just beautiful chip shots. And he kind of turned, and I think he's, his line to you was, remember when – I couldn't hit those shots or remember when everyone thought I was a bad chipper and he's turned one of his big, biggest weaknesses into one of his biggest strengths. And that's how you go from being a really, really good PGA tour player to being a great PGA tour player. Let's face it. His ball striking was always sublime. He was always among the best in the game. He took that one area and you see what happened this year. He wins the FedEx cup. He wins multiple times on the PGA tour. He has just an unbelievable Ryder Cup for the European team. I think all of those things only push him to get better next year. I would actually be surprised if he doesn't win a major next year. Yeah, I'm picking Victor as well in in, in no small part because I'm sick of picking the same guys who who just who just fail to to live up to my own lofty expectations for them. I'm sick of picking Xander Schauffele, who, as I mentioned, was my Player of the Year in 2023. Didn't win a single tournament. I'm sick of picking double down. Huh? Pan- I'm sick of picking Patrick Cantlay who might be the most complete through-the-bag player on the PGA Tour. He, too, did not have a victory 
2023, although his schedule is very busy uh, with uh, PG Tour policy board meetings and the such. I, I'm sick of picking a player like Max Homa, who, to his credit, finally got his first top 10 in a major at the Open Championship. But other than that, I think back to the U.S. Open in particular. He owned the course record at LSAC uh, and then absolutely uh, face-planted uh, in that major championship. Like, I'm sick of picking those guys to make the leap. And so I'm just I'm just going a different direction. I do feel strongly about it that Victor Hovland is, is certainly ready. The FedEx Cup champion uh, from this past year, uh, I would argue right now as we record this podcast on December 26th that he's playing the best golf in the world at the moment. He is such a complete player, as you mentioned. Like, it was it was shocking to see a player of his caliber who had such a pedigree who had such a glaring deficiency as he did with his short game, but linking up uh, with the, with the X track man, uh, maestro Joe Mayo has completely reinvented himself around the greens, given himself so many more tools and a wider arsenal to succeed. And, and, and you look at his stats, he was 20th on the PJ tour around the greens since the PJ championship through the end of the PJ tour season. That's just not, that's just not average. That's not even above average. Like he's an elite pitcher and chipper of the golf ball. And when you couple, I, I think that that better skill set to go along with having now some major championship experience. We remember the open championship at St. Andrews. We didn't play well in the final round. Uh, you think back to the, the majors in 2023, he was in the penultimate group at the masters. Uh, he was right there staring Brooks Kepka down before finding the fairway bunker on the 16th hole at Oak Hill. Like he's 26 year old, 26 years old. He has the game. He has the experience. It is time for Victor Hovland to make that leap. Rex, how about a top 50 player who's ready to elevate, get inside the majors, do some things, crash the top 25, however you want to define it, but who's a top 50 player who you like this year? I didn't think you and I were going to step on each other's toes on this one. I'm going to go with Sam Burns because, again, I kind of look at what he does well, and he does still need to improve on certain aspects of his game. He seems to be a really, really streaky putter, at least, especially in the big events. When you look at how he just didn't deliver, he's another one of those players that you would expect to play well in a major championship. You would probably pick him going into one of them, and then he always seems to disappoint. I, I have to say that after he won the match play, I was at the match play. He beats Rory McIlroy. I thought big things were in store. I figured he was going to take that next step. He is the type of athlete on the PGA Tour that just seems touched by God, that he has all of those tools, and he just hasn't been able to put it together. I think two two, two things are going to come into play. One, I think he is becoming a more refined player around the greens, and that's going to be, can he take that Victor Hovland, Hovland step? Can he turn what is a weakness into, at least if not a strength, then something that he's not giving away strokes to the field? The other half of this is, I think he's going to be more mature. I think at this point in his career, he's probably sat in a lot. Scotty Scheffler, his good friend, have all of the success, get to number one in the world, win major championships. And my guess, that's just going to drive him. So I would think he'd be a player that would take that next step. Yeah, I thought it was a little bit of a surprising downturn in form for Sam Burns. You mentioned the win at the match play, but didn't have a single top 25 finish in the major championships this year. Seemed to be kind of fighting his swing at times, you know, kind of snuck into the tour championship. Uh, where he actually did play well at Eastlake, but didn't have a particularly good Ryder Cup uh, as as well. I'm, I'm with you. Sam Burns obviously has all the talent. He has all the pedigree, uh, and it is about time that he shows up at the major championships as well. For me, this top 50 player is, is kind of obvious at this point, and it's 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 Ludwig Obert. I mean, he's all the way up to 32nd in the world. 
despite never playing a major championship. But you'd think when you look at what he does well, like he should fare exceptionally well, and it should take him uh, almost no time to actually get comfortable in that sort of cauldron. I'm, I'm so glad that he played the RSM Classic, Rex. Not because uh, he, he won the tournament for his first PGA Tour victory, but that that start gave him enough rounds on the PGA Tour that he was able to compile strokes gained data. And so now we can accurately compare him to some of his peers. And in the limited action, since he graduated from Texas Tech uh, in late May through the end of the PGA Tour season in the fall, he was the second best driver of the golf ball on the PGA Tour and 10th overall in strokes gained total. Like that's going to play everywhere, especially being that elite a driver of the golf ball. You think Roy McIlroy, you think Scotty Scheffler, you think John Rahm. Those were all players whose game traveled uh, and who were uh, it, it exceedingly competitive almost every single time they played. I think he'll only get sharper as he gets, you know, seconds and third looks at some of these courses on the PGA Tour. And he also has Joe Scovern on the bag, which I don't think uh, is, is any small thing. Like people forget this dude's 24 years old. Like he's three years older than Tom Kim. He's two years younger than Victor Hovland. He's mature. He's poised. He's ready. I think when we do this podcast at the end of 2024, I think we're looking at Ludwig Ober as a top 10 player in the world. I like that. And I knew that you were going to pick him. So that's why you usually get those sweetheart highs and fall in love with the next hot thing pretty quickly. So I didn't want to get close to him, but certainly what he did at the Ryder Cup. And it was uh, at the RSM talking with him about what he learned from that experience. I don't think you can dismiss that idea. I don't think you can, I don't think you can quantify how important that's going to be in his career path, because I mean, we've said it before, there's nothing that compares to a match at a Ryder cup. The only thing that can do it is being in contention on Sunday at a major. Now you put that in, you put that into practice and he hasn't played a major. So now all of a sudden he's felt probably the most pressure he's ever going to feel, even if he's in contention to win the masters or whatever the case may be. And he's been there before and he's proven to himself that he can perform, that he can hold up to that pressure. I don't think you can ignore that at all. Who uh, who are we going to next? Is this the top 100 player? Yeah, this is the top 100 player. Just to put a real fine point on, on Ludwig, like I think it was very interesting to see what happened with Rose Zhang on the women's side and Ludwig Aubert on the men's side. These were two highly decorated, uh, accomplished players who left school at the exact same time. Rose Zhang won in her first start on the LPGA, but then kind of petered out as the season went on, there was a lot of golf she played, not much time off, and kind of ran out of gas by the end of the season. Ludwig Ober, uh, I think quite interestingly, got stronger as the year went on. He won on the European Tour, played great at the Ryder Cup, and then won in the final fall event. Uh, so I think that'll be interesting to see uh, how both of those players perform in 2024. Yes, this is the long shot division player outside the top 100. This is the one that we will certainly be victory lapping if we do nail, and somehow this player gets inside the top 50, top 25, whatever it ends up being. Uh, I'm going to go with Akshay Bahia, Batia. Sorry. Nope. Akshay, Akshay Batia. Batia. That's what I said. Why, are you, why are you correcting me here? Yeah, I don't it. know why. Yep. Uh, win the Bar- won the Barracuda. I, uh, that was impressive. But then I liked what he did to close out the fall. I think he played his last seven or eight events and fin- made the cut in all of them. Wasn't really in contention, but I liked the progression that he made. Now, here's a player who probably three years ago – that was one of those players that you probably would have fallen in love with coming into the pro ranks. In, in fact, in fact, I did. Yes. Uh, and, and I think he took a little bit more seasoning than a player like Ludwig. And I think that's probably the more common career path for players, even despite 
regardless of how much talent they might have coming up. So he had to go to the Corn Ferry Tour, had to earn his card, took him a minute, a minute. But what you, I think we see now, not the finished product, but certainly the refined product versus what he was coming out of school. And again, all these players seem to fall in the same category for me because I was just looking at his stats. And again, great ball striker. 30th off the tee in strokes gain, 37th approach to the green. Totals uh, tee to green, 34th. He's outside the top 100 by a long shot in strokes gain around the green and strokes gain putting. Another player that if he finds a way, and this goes back to the Victor Hovland conversation, that if you can just find a way not to give away strokes, like don't make it your strength. You're not going to turn into Brad Faxon suddenly on the greens after being 183rd on the PGA Tour and putting one season. But you can get that number closer to zero, which is exactly what Victor Hovland did. He's 100th this season in in strokes game putting, but he's also on the ballot for player of the year. So it shows you you don't need to have huge gains. You just need to find a way not to give away strokes in that particular area because the other areas of your game are so strong. I think he's the type of player that the more and more he becomes comfortable, you pointed out with Ludwig, I think it's it, we can't ignore the idea that he's seeing the courses for the second time. He's more comfortable around. And it sounds simple, but you know where to go to get your rental car. You know where the locker room is. You might even recognize the attendant in there. You know how to get to the range. You know where the practice area is. All of these things are important. I think that will only help. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. Like for a a player who began the year on the Corn Ferry Tour, this is a player who is an immense talent, has been for several years, and now his arrow is pointing straight up. You're you're right. Like three or four years ago, like everyone thought that this was the second coming. Uh, He had a really rough start. He was getting a lot of sponsor exemptions. He wasn't playing well. He didn't go to college. Uh, There was a lot of stuff with the family that people were kind of wary of. uh, But it seems like he's getting very much settled uh, into his pro career. Uh, I'm with you. Like he he might not he might not have the consistency uh, to be an elite performer on the PGA Tour, but he's going to pop up two, three, four times uh, in serious contention to win a golf tournament, and it would not surprise me if he nabs one or two of them. For me, I'm going a little bit further off the radar, a player who is playing predominantly overseas at the moment, and that's Alex Alex Fitzpatrick, brother, of course, of top 10 player, Matt Fitzpatrick. Quietly, he had a really nice 2023 rex, like seven top 10s on the European Challenge in DP World Tours, picked up his first win. Uh, He leaped more than 600 spots in the world ranking, and I think one of the turning points for Alex was his performance at the Open Championship. He qualified to get into the event, and then he ended up finishing in a tie for 17th and really outshined his major championship winning brother. That gave him a lot of confidence, one, I believe, in his next start uh, on the Challenge Tour, and away he went. Like A lot of people not too long ago thought that this was actually the more talented Fitzpatrick. He's longer. He's a little bit more dynamic. He has more shots. And everyone thought that that Matt was just kind of the scrappy scrambler, kind of like a Jordan Spieth knockoff. Now that it's obviously not come to fruition, and Matt has established himself as a premier player uh, on the PGA Tour and European Tour and has for a very long time. But I actually don't think it's unrealistic that Matt Fitzpatrick and Alex Fitzpatrick could be on the same European Ryder Cup team in two years' time at Bethpage. I think Alex can, if not top 50 in the world, can get close to that top 75 mark. And then he can make uh, even more strides. There's there's a lot of room for improvement when it comes to Alex Fitzpatrick. And it wouldn't surprise me to see him make the leap. 
And you look at what his brother did. I mean, his brother's a perfect comp, and they're very, very close, obviously. And Matt transformed himself, at least when it comes to length off the tee. I mean, that's a really well-told well, well, well story throughout the years where he was probably very much middle of the pack. You pointed out Jordan Spieth. That's probably a really good comp. In this case, though, he forced himself into that upper third, and that's probably what made the difference between him being a good player and him being a guy that wins major championships and stars on Ryder Cup teams. All right, Rex, this is your time to shine. You're not going to like this. These are the players who go the other way, players who disappoint. We're not going to put a, an actual number on a, a player who drops out that top 10, top 25, top 50, whatever. But who is a player or players who go the other way in 2024? Uh, you're not going to like this. So I'm just going to throw it out there right now. And as I pointed out at the beginning of the podcast, I did seem to touch on Morikawa. I was not afraid to call out a player that I thought was going to regress a little bit. I'm not going with a player this year. I'm going with an institution, and it's going to be the International President's Cup team again. because they An institution? It's an going institution. with an institution. Uh, it, 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 you're going to call it the coward's way out. I'm going to say that I'm tired of going to these events and them being blowouts. And I'd like to be able to go there and to believe everything that I've written and everything that the captains. Treble Emmerman was an amazing captain. I don't think he left any stone unturned trying to find a way to make this some sort some sort of a close match and i think the argument we've had in the past was there was about 30 minutes during that last president's cup on sunday when you were kind of like well it could go the other way I, I think that's being a little generous it was probably closer to 15 or 20 minutes to be honest with you i'm just tired and i'm sure the players are tired too and i don't believe that the american side is that much better than the international side i think on paper this should be such a closer match and it is not. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I understand why. I think there's other things that the PGA Tour can do to try to make it a little bit closer. But the more and more blowouts that we have, and this is going on essentially two decades of blowouts now, where the international team hasn't even been close, the less relevant this event is. And this event should be one of those dates on the calendar that you look forward to, like we do the Ryder Cup. There's no reason why it should not. And I'm just going to point out the fact that it's going to be disappointing again. I just know it is. I, I mean, you saying the International President's Cup team is going to disappoint or lose. That This is, this is well-run that's, material that's, by this point. It's, it's, odd that you're, it's odd that you're taking this stand right now, coming off an International President's Cup performance at Quell Hollow in which no one gave them any chance. Like we, we talked about before the, that event, I, I remember distinctly saying like, hmm, I wonder if this thing could wrap up on Saturday as it almost did at Liberty National five years before that. Like, there is a decently young, strong nucleus when you look at this International President's Cup team with Tom Kim, uh, Sung J M, Min Woo Lee, he's coming on very strong over the past couple of months of 2023. And, like, there was actually a window. I think back to the Ryder Cup this year and the President's Cup the year before. There was about a 45-minute window and a pathway for there to be a, uh, a historic comeback victory 45? on the final day. It it closed quickly, but I remember jotting down in my notebook and looking at the looking at the monitor and writing it down, saying, "Well, this this pans out, and this pans out, and this pans out." Uh, the inter, uh, the international team could win. I I actually think this is going to be one of the closer ones that we've had. Uh, I don't know uh, next why. year at Royal Montreal, and even and even if it's not, I don't care. Because we'll be in Montreal, one of the greatest food cities in the world, uh, with an expense account. Like, it's going to be a great week, regardless. And I but, will say, I you, 
you were going to call me out. Uh, I And so call me a coward because I didn't pick a player. And I actually did jot down a player that I was thinking about. And this has really nothing to do with how much talent he has. He clearly has a lot of talent. He's clearly driven. I'm more worried about how he holds up physically. And that's Will Zalatoris. Like, he, oh, he came oh. back off a long layoff. And I'm just this has nothing to do with what he's capable of doing. Again, talent wise, we all saw what he could do before he got hurt. And you'd like to think that after having the surgery, coming back, certainly it was good to see him again at the Hero World Challenge because he's one of the most engaging young players on the PGA Tour. No one would want to see Will Zalatoris have a successful year more than me. I'm just worried having a surgery at that age and, and with this sport and having to change your swing up, I, I just I get a little, little squeamish when it comes to that one. He's pain-free. He's got more range of motion so. than he's ever had before. He was shooting all the scores. At home, I, I like he obviously did not look good at the Hero World Challenge, but he at least looked healthy. Uh, and that was rust. I, I can dismiss. I mean, the Hero World Challenge. I mean, it, it's it's you know not the most serious of competition. So I can dismiss that one. Again, this goes back to the idea that anytime you have a player that young that had to have that particular surgery, I think it's just a red flag. Uh, it's certainly a red flag. That actually reminds me that that Will Zalatoris was my breakout player. <laughs> That's what of, it was. Yeah, of twenty twenty three. Instead, he just broke on the range. Uh, at the oh. Masters and set out for the uh, last eight months of the season. Huge Willie Z fan, huge believer in his talent. Uh, I hope he gets right. I hope he plays a full schedule, uh, and I hope he gets back to the, the type of winning golf and very competitive golf that we all know that he can, can produce. I, I thank you, Rex, for at least offering a player because I'm going to throw two names at you as players oh, wow. who could potentially disappoint in 2024. And this one pains me as much as it, it pained me to hear uh, you you bag on my boy Willie Z like that, but Jordan Spieth is that player for me. Like oh I'm ready to see something again. Jordan Spieth dealt with a wrist injury uh, for a couple months in 2023, but you look statistically, Jordan Spieth was the 38th best player statistically last season on the PGA Tour. He is still above average, right at average, in every major statistical category but he is no longer exceptional in anything. He's not an elite iron player like he was in 2017. He's not an elite scrambler like he was early in his career. He's not an elite putter as he was uh, during that great year in 2025. Like you, If you zoom out, Jordan Spieth has won just twice in the past six years. One of those was the 2021 Valero Texas Open against a weak field while the rest of the superstars were getting ready for the Masters. And the other was the 2022 Heritage, when he needed a fluky win and a bunch of guys vomiting all over themselves uh, in order to prevail in that playoff. Like, Jordan Spieth is still going to pop up in a major championship occasionally. 2021, he had that duel with Colin Morikawa, then he kind of yipped that two-footer in the last green, remember in the third round, uh, to kind of doom his chances there. Uh, this year at the, at the Masters, like he's always a threat at Augusta National. He finished the top five once again. He was great at the President's Cup, the aforementioned President's Cup, uh, where the Americans won quite handily. But if there's any magic left in the Spieth bottle, like it kind of feels like he has to show it this year. He He's, to me, in, in danger of becoming just another really good PJ Tour player. Like he still produces moments of magic. He still has these flourishes uh, that all the fans love and that we love to cover. Uh, but I, I, I kind of need to see something in 2024, and I'm worried that, that we just might not. 
you're not wrong. And, and I mean, I I'll, I will agree with all of those things. I'm just shocked to hear it come out of your mouth because no one has been the bigger fanboy when it comes to Jordan Spieth than you since day one. I mean, this goes back to his college days. You covered him at Texas, so I'm pretty shocked to hear you say his that. Junior days. He was the first call I ever made as a staff a staff writer for Golf Week magazine. It was my first job, March 2020, uh, March 2010. I called a Texas. I believe he was a freshman or sophomore at the time. Uh, who just won the state title, and his name was Jordan Spieth. The very first call I made in golf media. How about that, Jordan Spieth? I mean, good for you. Journalistically, you've taken um, – that's a big step for you. Congratulations. Who's the other name that's on your list? And you're, you're, um, you get I, so happy just picking people apart. This is like your happiest time of the year. Well, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see what Brooks Kepka does this year. He's 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 33 years old now. Uh, he's a new father. He's on year three of live. He doesn't have his brother and the safety net there. Like He got his fifth major championship at the PGA Championship to kind of complete the, the, the hard climb back. Right. But he also didn't play great from Oak Hill on. He didn't build on that at all. Uh, he was kind of a dud in the Ryder cup as well. I'm just curious to see what he's going to do. I think a lot of times it's like it, it, it could potentially be like one final flourish for a great proud champion. I don't think that, I don't think the PJ was going to be, but I also wouldn't be surprised if Brooks takes a step back in 2024, even if he is healthy. I think there's something to be said for And look, I'm not going to point out Brooks. I think Brooks had an unbelievable season. You also kind of gloss over the fact he won twice on live golf. He finished runner up at the masters. I, I, again, I go back to my argument. I feel like he should have been on the ballot for the GWA player of the year, but I think there is something to the idea that once players get on live, that they seem to get really, really comfortable. And I'll use Dustin Johnson as the example. I, I think we can all agree Dustin Johnson is very much still a top 10 player in the world, but every time he gets yeah. an opportunity, well, I, I think talent-wise, I, I would I would argue that he is still a top 10 player in the world, but every opportunity that he had this year, which was only the four majors, he really was disappointing. And I'm not saying... He didn't even play well on live. Uh, didn't even play well on live. And so I, I think there is something to be said for the idea that you can get very, very comfortable on that league. I've spoken with players on live who point out that the lifestyle is good, you're getting paid a lot of money. It's 54 whole events. It's only 14 events. So there's a lot of things to like about it. And I I think it's very, very easy if you're not careful to lose that edge. And I think that's what you're trying to ascribe to Brooks. I'm not sure I agree with you, but I get where you're coming from. I, I think I think Bryson DeChambeau will have a better year in 2024 mm. than Brooks Kepka. I would agree with that. Uh, how about tournaments to watch? My, I was I was going to mention the Presidents Cup that you absolutely <laughs> dogged on uh, for for not just the the tournament competition. It. We love match play. We love the team atmosphere. You just we love, love Montreal and the food. We we love we love the build up and kind of the drama over the captain's picks. Who's going to make the team? Who's going to add a start? Kind of the the JT drama this year with the Ryder Cup. Like I love all that. I, I absolutely love team competitions. So the Presidents Cup was certainly an event that I was looking forward to. How about you? What do you think is a major tournament to watch and why? It's clearly not the President's Cup. I, like you, am looking forward to going back to Royal Montreal for a President's Cup because you're right. It's a beautiful city with a lot of really good food. I just don't expect much from the actual competition. Again, I'd like to. Like, no one wants it to be a close match more than me, but I don't think that's going to happen. Mine was easy. The U.S. Open at Pinehurst. I mean, I think that's the U.S. version of St. Andrews because when you go to the little town and the golf course is so iconic – and I think what they did to it when they sort of tinkered around the edges and made it a little bit more linksy, I think only made it a better course. And it just has – it's not St. Andrews because you can't replicate that, but I do think it's as close as we get on the U.S. side. And I also like – it produces 
pretty good champions more times than not. Payne Stewart, Martin Keimer. Martin Keimer won by eight. Uh, well, yeah, uh, but Martin Comer was a dominant player, if you remember at that time. He won the Players' Championship just a few few months, I guess, before that. Weeks. So number two on that list, though, it's a 1A and 1B for me because I would argue that Royal Troon is probably the most underappreciated golf course in the open rotation. I was thinking about that this morning. Like St. Andrews, it sort of has the history and everything that goes along to it. There's something special about going back to that place essentially every five years. I think I would argue the Muirfield is probably – the course most players will tell you is the best in the rotation. And after playing it for the first time this year, I can't argue with that. And I think Liverpool is a really, really cool course when it plays like it did this year when it's hard and fast and brown and bouncy. But I think, and it probably is because I played Troon the most out of all the open rotation courses, humble brag. But I think it's it like you can't appreciate how cool it is until you take actually a couple laps and you start seeing the angles and you start seeing the green complexes and, and what they're able to do with that course. So I, I am looking forward to that one. It doesn't have the feel of St. Andrews. I think you and I are probably going to stay about 30 minutes away, which is unfortunate, but with I you and our friend, huh? we'll, if we'll only I, hope so. God, I hope so. They didn't, did have, good, they did have a very like, good uh, backyard setup. We could potentially do some drilling, uh, some grilling content there. I remember Troon as the place where I shot 36, 46. Cause you're straight out. Downwind, and then you make the turn, and I, that was predominantly left to right wind into, and I had absolutely no chance. Uh, Pinehurst as well. Hopefully, we're staying in a house. And Jason Sobel, uh, our former colleague at Golf Channel, now with the Action Network, hopefully, he can cook us some hockey pucks as steaks. Because last time he said so he handled it. You, you said you said it was so easy for you to pick the U.S. Open. Like to me, this is the easiest one in Golf Channel podcast history that the tournament to watch in 2024 is the masters is the masters the champions dinner at the masters could be absolutely epic uh now i doubt we would ever we're not gonna be in the how do we know if it's gonna be epic you don't you don't think it's gonna be funneling out of there like i i do think it'll be kept under wraps like no one wants to embarrass themselves no one wants to get no get, get get thrown out and have their lifetime exemption revoked but i do think it could be Testy. There were reports in 2023, of course, that Phil Mickelson didn't say a word. And then he was woofing for basically the rest of the year. I'm very curious to see what the patron reception patron uh, will be the, will be for defending champion John Rahm now that he is defected to live golf. And when you look at the field wrecks, and our, our friend uh, with the AP Doug Ferguson just had a note on this. There's only 77 players yeah. who right now have qualified. Uh, there's the potential for this to be the small, shortest field uh, in years. And so as much as we love it, the Masters has actually become the easiest major to win, the easiest major to forecast, the easiest major to predict. And so I think that all will be very, very interesting. And if Tiger Woods can play two or three times, heading to the year's first major, uh, five-year anniversary of him winning uh, that incredible Masters after coming back from all the back issues that he did, uh, the, the Masters to me, is by far the most interesting major that we're going to have. Uh, in I don't. 2024. I don't disagree with the, with the premise. We won't know, I guess. From so, I, I don't know how th that makes it exciting if if we're just assuming that the dinner is icy and no one's talking to each other. And also, that's four months away, and who knows? I mean, we're going, going to live in a different world in four months, is my guess. Like, however these negotiations pan out, there's the very real possibility that 
they could all be under one umbrella at that point. So I'm not quite sure how the hard feelings stack up then when you're all technically on the same team and you're you're rowing in the same direction. I, I kind of agree with what you're saying. I think we certainly saw that last year and even the year before. But you go back to last year. Some of those right. some of those old timers have have some hashtag takes uh, as it Freddie, relates to not, not shy. And I think probably have something to say. But I, this goes back to this year's Masters. And I think and you and I both said it. If they liked you before you went to live golf, they, they like you now. Like we all saw DJ walking up and down the range. I mean, he was hugging guys. I'm sure they were more than happy to have him back at that dinner because he's DJ. No, Phil is not welcome back. They didn't particularly like Phil before he left to go to live golf. I don't know how Rom is going to fall into that. Certainly the timing is going to be difficult. I got the impression from Tiger Woods at the PNC championship that he certainly was not pleased with the timing of John's decision. Like I'm sure he wasn't pleased with the decision, but even the timing was worse. So yeah, I could see it be icy, but by that time we could be all be under the PGA tour slash European slash live golf umbrella. Uh, certainly possible. I think just interesting and notable that chairman Fred, Fred Ridley, has made his feelings known on live with things to the players who play for live. He has not gone out of his way to change any qualification criteria for live. And now he has to uh, welcome back John Rahm. Now a live golfer. All right. That's going to do it for this edition. The golf channel podcast with Rex and laugh. We'll be back next week for a full fledged preview of the century. The first event on the 2024 PGA tour calendar, neither Rex nor I, We'll be in Maui, sad to report, but we'll still have plenty of notes and info to get your way. Hope you guys have a great rest of the holiday season. We'll be back in the year 2024 to break it all down once again on this podcast. Happy New Year.